Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of KXCNC's Global Thinking Podcast. Today, we'll be reflecting on the top leadership moments of the year as we race towards the end of 2022. I'm joined by our KXCNC experts from London and Frankfurt, Dominic Reynolds, Robin Pagnamenta, and Francie Weisig. They'll be helping analyse some of the leadership communications successes and failures that we've seen this year and discussing the lessons learned that we'll be encouraging our clients to reflect on over the Christmas period. So, Robin, I wanted to start with one of the big moments in UK politics from this year, although there have been quite a few big and disruptive moments. Um, But I think for everyone, the premiership of Liz Truss does stand out. And I know we've talked about her communication style on one of our previous episodes of Global Thinking. So we're quite familiar with what works for her and what perhaps doesn't work. But were there any moments from her time in number 10 that stand out for you? Sure. Well, the moment that I was going to pick out from her premiership, her rather short-lived premiership, was the famous uh, eight-minute, 30-second press conference that she gave two days before her resignation. Um, uh, so this was, a, this was a sort of big U-turn. Um, she was abandoning lots of her agenda. Um, and, but I think really the, the, the lesson here was um, that uh, the debate over her leadership and the debate over ideas uh, that had led to her election had really taken place within a kind of vacuum flask. Um, within the Tory party itself and among Tory MPs and not the wider, you know, general public of 68 million Brits. Um, And this was the kind of moment that that vacuum flask sort of shattered and broke. uh, And these ideas kind of collided with reality. Um, I don't think she was, she's ever been a brilliant communicator, but this was a particularly sort of wooden and difficult performance. Uh, She took, I think, four questions uh, initially from two uh, journalists that she hoped were sympathetic and they were less sympathetic than she had hoped and then she walked off stage. Uh, it was an awkward thing to watch um, and it was also the end of her premiership. I'd agree it was certainly a moment to watch, wasn't it? Not least for the fact that in a moment like that, under fire politically, what was needed was for her to come out and stand there for as long as she needed to, to answer every question in as much detail as she could and really show that this she was grasping the moment and she was a leader that people could rely on. And instead, she did exactly 180 degrees away from that, which was to answer a few very sort of soft questions initially when they got difficult, just leave. Uh, it was It was a baffling performance in many ways. Um, So moving on to something a little more topical or recent, now we're in December, the Qatar 2022 World Cup. First of all, Dom, do you have a team in the Kek CNC sweepstake? Who are you rooting for? I've got Croatia. So at this point on the 7th of December, I'm still in with a shot. Um, And of course, England as well. Who have you got, Eleanor? Portugal. Also still got my fingers crossed for a win. Um, so on to a more <coughs> serious note, um, there was an infamous moment from a press conference led by FIFA president um, Gianni Infantino um, towards the start of the tournament, which has been the subject of much um, criticism since then. Can you remind us what happened? Yeah, again, I, I don't think we want to be negative generally on this, but we can't avoid a couple of these and we cannot avoid Gianni Infantino. So um, this is possibly the the most mocked and the worst received bit of leadership communication of 2022, I might suggest, given that it went around the world very quickly. Um, what we have is 
Gianni Infantino, the boss of FIFA, an organization which, to say the least, is in the spotlight for allegations of corruption over a very long period of time. Um, You know, there he is in Qatar, uh, a World Cup deemed to have been awarded corruptly, um, and then put in the spotlight for for human rights abuses in in various different forms. So a lot of noise beforehand that wasn't about football and was about lots of other stuff that neither FIFA nor Qatar wanted to talk about. What his task was at the beginning was to say, okay, I get it. I understand. Um, I'll I'll speak to some of these issues. I'll address them. And then we're going to move on to the tournament. And in a way, it's you know not the easiest task in the world, but I would say, given a reasonably difficult task, he d- he did a very odd and uh, baffling job with it. And the classic quotes that came out of it was dramatically delivered moments where he said, "Today I feel Qatari." Today, I feel Arab. He felt Arab, African, gay, disabled. He felt like a migrant worker, which was strange. And his logic Mm -hmm. for thinking that he felt like a migrant worker was that because he used to have ginger hair when he was young and was bullied in the playground for it, his experience was therefore very similar to a migrant worker, six and a half thousand of whom had um, were alleged to have died in the process of, of the stadia being put together. So um, um, one of the many baffling things about that is he kept talking about his ginger hair and he's the baldest man <laughs> in the world, which was ve- just one, you know, number nine on the list of strange things about this. Um, so, as a moment, the world turned and looked at this and laughed, I'm afraid, at a moment when it should have uh, been encouraged to consider some quite nuanced issues around the World Cup. Um, so not a great win from that point of view. And I would say there's a parallel, bizarrely, with Robin's point about Liz Truss here in that I would suggest that his speech, his delivery, the whole exercise um, stank of an uh, an organization that was not taking much external um, thought into consideration. Clearly, lots of people would have looked at that speech and its delivery of it and said, this is a great idea, Mr. Infantino, off you go. Yes, you are gay, you are disabled today. Um, and in fact, when the world heard that coming from him with his million dollar salary, um, sitting behind a desk with branded sports drinks, they said, this is ridiculous. Um, so while the content wasn't altogether disastrous, the, the context that it landed in was different and, and, it, and it was pretty appallingly judged. I don't know if anyone, if anyone else wants to be kinder to, to um, Mr. Infantino, Francie might. Yes, thank you. Not sure if I want to be kinder, but I think it's so important to really sense check what you are saying, to not have a speech ready and just read it down and uh, to not really show any empathy at any kind. I think it's so important to really know what you are saying and to to say what you are saying by your heart and soul and not only by reading something down that was written professionally. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, just to add to that, it's kind of um, the, the fundamental problem here to me was the fact that FIFA, which is, as we all know, a quite ethically compromised um, organization, uh, really it is not in a great position to start uh, lecturing or accusing the West of moral hypocrisy. Uh, so there was something fundamentally absurd about um, his remarks. And I think, uh, you know, probably... 
as an organization, it needs to do quite a lot of work rebuilding that reputation before it could even consider um, giving such a lecture. Um, and yes, it, it felt as if it was something that had been developed and uh, written and prepared without any kind of sounding board at all um, in the real world. Yeah, agreed. I think there's a lesson as well, um, thinking about how easily sound bites can be turned into memes now and become viral. So I think in everywhere immediately after that address, um, you saw sound bites um, that seemed very strange, seemed very out of touch, seemed very you know strange things for him to be saying all over Twitter um, and being turned into that viral content that people are essentially laughing at the expense of. Um, so I think there's something that le- you know leaders should be cognizant of as well, that sound bites are good um, to try and have pithy, short, impactful statements in your communications, but also if they hit the wrong tone or if they, they're not quite right tonally, they can be detracting and be a negative too. So that's something to be conscious of. Um, but thinking about um, that example, um, I know, Francie, you had um, something still football related, but a more positive moment now from the year and a much better example of how to lead and do le- leadership communications well. So you wanted to talk about Verena Palster, right, and her very public commitment to changing the way that women's football operates in Germany. Thanks so much, Eleanor. Yes, um so who is Verena Pauster? I'm not sure if everybody is familiar with her or has heard of her, but she's one of the best known entrepreneurs in the German startup scene. And um, she's a founder, she's a digital education expert, and she's an author. So just to give some background to all of you who haven't heard about her. Um, why do I think she's such a great leader? Um, So in the past few years, she founded several startups, initiatives. She was always very professional about it, shared her experience, her challenges. And and therefore, she inspired me, but also others, other leaders via LinkedIn, Instagram, all the social channels are her friends, her good friends. So what was her moment of the year in 2022? As Eleanor already said, we stay in the in the um, football area, so we continue talking about football. Um, in July 2022, Verena, together with five founders, um, took over the women's football club FC Victoria Berlin. It's a small football club. They play in the regional league, and Verena's goal is very clear: within five years. This football club should no longer play in the regional league, but in the first German Bundesliga for women football. And also the other goal is she wants sustainably change women's football in Germany. <laughs> so what did she do? How did she communicate? And was there only one single moment? Um, first of all, there was a big announcement in July, as mentioned. And then there was a personal note about her sharing her experience as a girl who always loved to play football, but there was no never room in Germany for a girl who plays football. She was always one of the girls who played football with in, in a complete boys team. And also there's her willingness to disrupt, disrupt the whole German football league. And therefore she runs this initiative as a startup together with her other founders 
And for her, and what is most important, I think, is communication is always transparent. Transparent to the players, to the investors, to the um, sponsors. It's a quick decision making and there's always open communication. Lastly, what fascinated me about this? Many leaders via, for example, Instagram, LinkedIn or other channels. She was always saying, well, who has been in similar situations? And there were many people who followed her. For example, Tina Müller, CEO of Douglas, quickly has been won as one of the sponsors. For example, Franziska von Almsieg, one of the Olympic um, game winners in swimming. She was quickly won as one of the board members. So as a result, FC Victoria Berlin already now has many traction in all social channels. And what we can learn, I think, is if you really want to change something, go out, communicate, be transparent. I think it sounds like as well, not an example I'm familiar with, but a really good one. Um, it sounds like that having that clear overarching goal and maybe, you know, coming out to bat with that one aim, being very transparent that that's what you're trying to achieve and kind of staking your name to that claim and then letting that be the driving force for all of the communications that comes, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's bringing other founders with you. But, you know, the pursuit of a single objective, uniting your communications is maybe a lesson that other CEOs, other leaders can learn. That, that can be a really powerful tool to rally other people behind. I love I love a quest. Everyone loves a quest. It's a good story we can get behind. And there's something very simple about what she's doing there. Here is a goal. You can even measure it. You know, we want to go from this league to that league over five years. Let's see, you know, what our progress is. There's something very tangible about that. As we so often say to, to, to um, clients, we advise tangibility is all important. You know, yes, abstract ideas are important, but making them specific is, is what counts. Exactly. Um, and thinking about that example there, Francie, as a very modern example from quite a disruptive player who I'm sure will become better known outside of Germany if she continues to lead in the way that she has done this year, um, to a much more traditional communications leadership example for people in the UK um, in particular. So earlier this year, we had the traditional um, symbolic and very historic moment um, of King Charles's first address to the nation, um, which really represented the formal transfer of power to him as the newly instated monarch. So, um, Robin, I know that this is a moment that maybe stood out for you, um, but what was it that you think, um, you know, Charles, King Charles did differently this time um, that really elevated his communication style in a way we've perhaps not seen before? Well, I guess what I would say about this is it could have been a bit of a disaster. Um, I think... Um, his, Charles's great problem was that he was always viewed as too much of a cold fish, too remote from other people. Um, and this was an opportunity really to sort of reset his, uh, his reputation and his, uh, his profile. And I think he pulled it off. And I think he pulled it off with, with language uh, and, with, and with a sort of um, a beautifully written um, piece of language. Uh, and I think one of the, you know, it, it was, and, and the delivery as well, I think was effective. You know, this was a sort of moment of, um, uh, this was a moment to do a number of things. It was a eulogy to his mother and a sort of tribute to his mother and a sort of dedication of the rest of his life in service. Uh, it was also an opportunity to kind of recast his own profile and his own, um, his own persona, if you like. Uh, and I think he carried it off. It sounded authentic and heartfelt. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was his use of the word love. Uh, 
which he used repeatedly in this um, in this uh, address. Um, you know, this wasn't a sort of stiff statement. It was it was one that felt very kind of warm, um, and he. I think he talked about endeavouring to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. And he also um, uh, used it, used that same word a number of other times. And it made me think of another famous remark that he made many years ago, um, uh, prior to his marriage to Diana, when he was asked, "Are you?" In, or I think they were both asked together, "Are you in love?" And she sort of said yes. And he said, "Well, whatever love means," which I think you know made it very transparent the kind of dynamics within that relationship and he's never he's always struggled to kind of overcome that reputation and this was a sort of opportunity to recast himself and i think he uh you know to to a, to a great degree managed to succeed and what i'd add on that is I, I really liked it i i did think given the challenges that we will often face working with clients and the time frames that we have to deliver something very good in a very short period of time that was one challenge he didn't have there I mean, he had a lot of time to prepare that, didn't he? He's, That's certainly <laughs> true. He, and, he, and he also didn't have to take any questions. So to be, to be fair, it was a, yeah, he's had a, he'd had a long time to write it or, or have someone else write it and he didn't take any questions. But I think nevertheless, it was a, it was a beautiful, uh, if, there, if there's a lesson there, it's about the, the way that, you know, elegant language, um, beautifully written can, can you know, is, is, has, has a lot of magic. And so great, a final example to round us off and perhaps saving the best until last because I can't believe we've gone this long talking about leadership and communications in 2022 without talking about President Vladimir Zelensky. So, Dom, what do you think um, has stood out about the way that Zelensky has communicated amidst the ongoing war effort in Ukraine in quite a stark contrast, I think, to the colder, more distant style we've seen from his adversary. Why has Zelensky been so successful from your perspective? I think for a start, there's something really interesting in that, in the the very deliberate nature that he's cast himself as an oppositional figure in many ways to, to um, Vladimir Putin. Um, there are so many things that that he has done really well and in a really pioneering way that we don't you know has been well covered elsewhere you know not least his understanding of an image and its power and his appearance in that image um social media and and the way that it can be used as a weapon of war um uh, the delivery of his speeches of course as a former actor is pretty um on point as well um one thing that i would pull out as the standout for me is that He's really consistent. Every single night, he does another broadcast from his office, from um, wherever he is around the around the world, from uh, Ukraine and from the front line. He delivers something, and that consistency is really interesting. And it makes me think of something we talk to our clients a lot about after the pandemic: that in an increasingly hybridized or remote world. Um, that consistency, research is showing time and again that consistency from leaders is what counts. That's what cuts through. And in many situations, it actually deputizes for trust. Trust becomes consistency. That's how you build trust. Um, so it's something that we've talked about a lot. And it's really interesting to see Vladimir Zelensky in this much more high stakes, much more serious life and death situation, actually showing that that consistency is what counts. He's been there every night. You know, people talked about the first Gulf War as being the first one waged by rolling news. Well, this is a war that's being waged by 
incredibly intimate vlogs from um, someone's office night after night, which is a really different thing. Um, so, so many great things. If I had to pick a moment, because I agree that that's the format we've, we should uh, follow um, through to this example, if I had to pick a single moment, um, I would probably say the moment Zelensky addressed Glastonbury, you know, wartime leader from a war-torn country speaking on 20-foot high screens at, at the pyramid stage to 200,000 people in a field in, in southwest England uh, and getting the reception that a rock star would, um, I think is something quite significant. And when you think about how odd that is as a scenario uh, and how totally that's been created by communication and the way he's been conducting himself, um, I thought that was pretty standout for me. So no, no great shock surprise there. But Zelensky is a great communicator. But I think um, it's it's he surprised me a number of times this year. And again, it's the contrast with um, with uh, Vladimir Putin and his increasingly bizarre sort of um, communication style. You know the um, the long tables and the highly orchestrated, strange, socially distanced press conferences with uniformed generals, you know, set against um, the much more human, uh, you know, uh, green green T-shirted uh, Zelensky speaking in a natural and sort of very um, authentic way is, is, has been one of the sort of characteristic, uh, you know, contrasts of the year that, we, that we've all been watching. Um, and I don't think it's any, you know, I mean, quite what will happen in Ukraine, who knows, but I think it's quite clear that um, he's won in terms of communication. Fully agree. And I think being being consistent on the one hand and being authentic on the other hand is really the goal of being a very good leader. We've seen this in, in all the examples we mentioned. Um, coming back to Verena, she is really consistently reporting about FC Victoria Berlin on a weekly basis. She really is pushing this forward and um, showing this consistency um, over a long period of time helps you to engage with your community. So to wrap up there, it's essentially all about clarity, consistency and authenticity. A big thank you to the three of you, Dom, Robin and Francie, for joining us today to reflect on the Leadership Comms hits and misses from 2022. If listening to this podcast has left you feeling inspired, then you can check out more episodes of Global Thinking on Spotify, Apple Music or Podbean. Or you can visit our website at www.kexcnc.com. Mm-hmm.